to our daily gun show we come to you live every weeknight at midnight eastern and we talk about guns for about an hour uh, we have people come jump in from all around the country over on gunchannels.com community we built about five years ago now well it is five eight years ago now and uh people get together they chat about guns they share their content and stuff they're creating we collaborate and whatnot and one of the things we do is have conversations we try not to be led by news of the day so on Fridays, we usually talk about the industry and technology. So tonight we're going to be talking about the best gun accessories of 2018, as well as when you get a new gun, what do you do with it? So if we got routines or tradition stuff that we do to our guns, then uh, we can talk about that. Otherwise, though, we try to make this an effort in interactive uh, participation. So we've got the, we run this on YouTube. Uh, we simulcast it over at gunchannels.com. And we're watching the conversations from gun channels and over on the YouTube side from the people that are part of the show and part of this conversation. So uh, I didn't even introduce everybody yet tonight, did I? So Cycle Camp's jumping in from Connecticut. Thanks for joining. Hi there. Exhausted from uh, trying to move snow for many hours and uh, burned out one uh, snowblower and had to go to the backup. But uh, other than that, I'm doing okay. Right on. Well, thanks for joining us. I pretty much know how you feel as far as dealing with weather. Today, I went out to go get some stuff at the mailbox, and I wasn't sure if I should wear a windbreaker or not, and I ended up wearing a windbreaker, and I regretted it because it was a little uncomfortable. I was a little bit warm, so I can understand what it's like to have to deal with weather. Uh, Dead Horse jumping in from Utah. Thanks for joining. Howdy. Oh, we got Gary jumping in from Kansas. Hello. Thanks for the invite. You bet. Uh, I thought I invited everybody. I sent some of you guys an invite right at the last minute here. Dan, I'll jump it in from Illinois. Thanks for joining. Yep, thank you. We at the gym right now still? You yes. You walk to that gym or you drive to that gym? Uh, I'm a lazy ass, so I drive. Here we got Dog jumping in from Nevada. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm down here in Tucson, so... Uh, we got a couple of the links out there, people that join us on the uh, gun channel side. If somebody's interested in jumping into the panel discussion, let us know. Otherwise, uh, we'll dig in. Not weather shaming. I just think that's funny to talk about you guys' just shitty weather. Because at times when I have shitty weather, I don't get any, any kind of, I just get grief. Because people say, hey, you have good weather half the time. That is true because when it's 120 down there, we say, "Well, we'll just turn the air conditioning on." Yeah, or you <laughs> think about now and don't care about when it's hot down here. But anyway, who cares? It's just weather. But no, it sucks. I don't have to deal with uh, dragging shit around. That's one of the reasons I left, though, because I hated shoveling all winter and mowing all summer. But we'll move on. So, uh, best gun accessory of 2018. The year's not quite over. We'll still have the 
what's it called? The um, uh, National Association Sporting Goods Wholesalers show is coming up. Did that already happen? That already happened. So, yeah, we don't have anything. We have SAR show coming up in the beginning of uh, December, but nothing really debuts at SAR show that I'm aware of. So uh, until SHOT Show, uh, nothing's new on the manufacturer's front. So looking back at 2018, what's the, has there been a best accessory? Not a gun, but a best part of it. Right. Well, I why don't we go through the panel? Because right. each one of us does something slightly different than the other for the most part. Right on. So cycle, got something that you'd like this year? I think the coolest accessory I've seen for firearms this year is uh, the the uh, training stuff where you can use like an iPhone and you get an insert for your gun and you can do dry fire practice uh, just using a laptop or, or an iPhone or, or that kind of thing. I, I, I think that's a great way to, you know, for people to practice their trigger discipline and make sure they're not moving the firearm. And all that kind of stuff, and I, I, I think they've made some really good strides on that stuff. So I, I was pretty impressed with that. Right on, uh, Dead Horse. Uh, do, you, do you even look AR at you accessories? Yeah, AR pistol braces, and I don't even think it matters which one, whichever one you like. But there's so many of them out there now, and so many different choices and possibilities of neat pistol braces that I've just opened up the possibilities to AR pistols that I definitely think that this last year for AR pistol braces has been absolutely just fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's gotta be a good one because uh, that's gotta be keeping the industry going, keeping sales going. There's no reason not to I mean, unless you're poor, there's no reason not to be building a couple of AR pistols. It's so awesome. So many possibilities like you're saying. Oh yeah, and plus, you know, they have affordable pistol braces that are thirty bucks too. You know what I mean? And it just it really opens up the possibilities of an AR pistol where you can just do a lot more with that gun now. Uh, Gary. Well, other than what Cycle mentioned, I don't want to be repetitive. So the only other thing I can think of is uh, I've seen these things that clip on the inside of a pocket but they magnetically attach to a uh, to a pistol magazine to where you can easily store those in your pocket and enough of them sticks up to where you can grab it and pull it out those look like a good thing to have I don't own any but I'd like to my concern with them is the same as with the gun magnets that I get too much metal lint and metal shavings around that I don't want my mags getting all magnetized that's probably probably a good a good point. But does that they hold the magazine via magnet and then the clip just holds the magnet to your pants? You know, I don't remember right off the top of my head. I know there's a clip and a magnet yes. both involved. I have yeah, one that's of those. Basically how it works, yeah. Yeah. In fact I was using mine tonight. And then that way if you need staples or paper clipping on it right there too. Mm-hmm. All right. So is that your you're gonna copy off of Gary? Oh no, I've got my own. Is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, uh, 
I'm going to agree, but slightly vary everything that Dead Horse said. Uh, I agree that uh, the changes in the uh, pistol braces has completely changed uh, the AR pistol as far as its its life and what it can do. And I think uh, the price point, uh, the, the one that I'm thinking in particular is the one that comes with its own pistol tube and actually locks in numerous positions um, so that it also meets those states that have a overall length requirement for pistols like Michigan. It fits that requirement as well as far as keeping overall length in check uh, and keeping it a pistol. And the model I'm thinking of is, is the one you can get it on sale for SPA3. about. I got Yes, uh, it's by far uh, of, of the two that, that fulfill that same function. It's by far dramatically less costs and cost does matter. Uh, the MSRP is about 150. I got mine from Brownells on sale for about 99 bucks. The other one, same company, different model, is like 270 bucks uh, retail. And again, you can get that on sale, but it's literally twice over twice the cost, or about twice the cost. You know, and it is also. Dan, I got popped. I got sick of hearing Dan, so I kicked him out of here. Uh, Doug, you got one? Uh, I don't have one particular item, but to me this year, I've noticed that there are so many uh, more holster makers, especially with the Kydex market. And even the affordable holster makers have really upped their game this year. And I've just brought that whole thing into a much more affordable category. You can get, you know, any cant you want, any fit you want. That's been what I've found most interesting this year. You know, must have walked into a different zone. Uh Tower. Can you guys hear me? Did you walk into a different cell tower, Dana? No, I was just on the. I also I just lost my signal. I'm literally in the same uh, treadmill. Anyway, uh, I, you guys basically got the gist of, of what I was trying to say. Think. What do you? Uh, okay. Uh, probably the uh, how they're. Uh, I don't know the folding. AR accessories. I mean, now they're even starting to fold the barrel of the uh, rifle to where it fits even into a smaller package. But how they're going from folding stocks to now folding barrels, making things smaller. Yeah, well, when you start with a platform that has a ridiculous barrel extension, or I mean, a uh, receiver extension, then you got to fold the barrel. Yeah short but yeah didn't start with a crank you gotta start with an ar you gotta do stuff like that um i've seen them where they take it off i haven't seen one fold they're a folding barrel oh yeah um shoot what's the the one company that uh dead foot arms they uh have they now have a folding barrel locking uh system for it all right, well, I'm going to go with the uh, wood accessories for the whatever the firearms are called that are 12-gauge firearms that aren't shotguns and they're not SBSs, right? So TAC-14 and the Shockwave, they both came out with wood. I think it was this year I first started seeing the wood, but they look badass. Oh, yeah, like I think a company, their name's a Vector. I want to say it's Vector Arms. 
they make a really nice maple set, even for the new TAC 13, which is the semi-auto, like TAC 14 from Remington, right? And uh, there are, like, so several companies are making different wood furniture for them now. And, yeah, like, there you can get some really nice wood furniture. And I like that uh, that kind of classic look. I think it looks really classy. Like, that. that's what, literally, that's what made me want one of those little firearms is, is the wood furniture. Is uh this what you were talking about with the folding AR? The uh, XAR, an active folding rifle model? Definitely yeah, you answer. just throw a lever and the whole barrel swings to the side? Yeah. Is that from De uh, Deadfoot? Or? Uh, I found this on FD Defense. Let's see, I'm going to their site now. That's $1,200 AR, but still, that's pretty cool. I see it folds right there at the front of the receiver. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. It folds up and can fit in a little box like that. That is awesome. Well, I think it's also, if I, re I don't know if it's that exact company's one, but like the, the one of the ones I saw, it's quick release too. So the barrel can actually come off and then you just slap on a whole new barrel and handguard and like you're good to go in a different caliber, you know? So it makes like chap caliber changes like really fast. Sweet. Yeah, it's partnered with uh, Fold AR. Company's called Fold AR. Huh. So, anybody have any other stuff? Nope, and nobody's saying anything in the chat. Well, I didn't ask you guys if you guys didn't have anything else, but uh, nobody's saying anything in the chat, so we'll move on, I guess. That's all the best accessories for 2018. Welcome. If you want to buy them, go over to uh, Gun Channels. There's some links down the left-hand side there for the different stores. And then we get a, get a juicy 10%, no, actually 5% cut, usually. All right, so... Uh, New gun. You buy a new gun. What do you do with it? You got any rituals, traditions? Play with it. I buy a box of ammo and immediately go to the range. Clean. Uh, go ahead. Is there... uh, take it apart, clean it, kind of get, uh, you know, get an idea how everything goes together and everything. I usually do that before I ever take it to the range. Yeah, no, I'm too much like a kid at a, a kid at a store. I get the gun, I have to fire it. Yeah, I, I typically field strip them and just make sure they're they're lubricated properly before I take them to the range. But other than that, I'm with dog. You know, you know the whole point of getting a new gun is to go go make a bang bang and put holes in things. So, uh, uh, you know, right after I I decide that uh, okay, I, I run out there and uh try to put put some rounds through it I, I i will admit there are a couple guns that i own that i haven't even shot yet and but they're kind of weird guns and and uh so they're not 
you know, I'm not real interested in getting out there, but most of the, if it's a handgun, I'm certainly out at the range with it. If it's a long gun, it depends on when I next have a, a match or something where I might be able to use it. G, how about you? Um, I haven't bought a new gun for use in a while, but I'll do probably the same thing as you guys said. Just go shoot it a bunch. Make sure there's no broken metal parts in it that got past quality. That's about it. Uh, but I probably have more guns, like Cycle said, that I've never shot than most people probably have. I'm just thinking that as he said that. I have a bunch of guns that I've never shot and I have no interest in shooting. So it probably depends on the gun, right? And if you're a collector, probably going to have maybe a different ritual for putting stuff up, lubricating it and cleaning it or whatever and putting it away nice. Oh, if, it's, if it's a showpiece, I, I bought it without the intent of ever actually using it. Like if it's like a real old classic, then yeah, it's go home and boil it down and pick a place on the wall. All right, anybody else want to throw anything else in there? Um, on a lot of my rifles, I like to get the barrel real hot. Um, uh, you know, not like super like glowing red hot, but I like to get it, you know, hot. And uh, the first time out to break in the barrel. I don't do that, you know, one shot, run a patch and a brush like now. I go out and use a good, nice, you know, copper projectile and uh, blend that copper uh, into the steel of the barrel, get it nice and hot. That's my breaking process. So. What are you talking about? On pistols or on rifles? On rifles. On right on pistols, I just go out and shoot them just to see if they work. You know, like, but on like on a rifle, I like to get that barrel actually hot and uh, use a nice, you know, copper projectile and in, in, you know, infuse that copper into the steel of the barrel and. Uh, that's my breaking process. I like to, if I'm buying a new shotgun, I like to set the, go out to the range and set up a target at 150 and 25 yards so that I can start to gauge it at each of those distances with slugs. But if it's a handgun, just I don't bother with that much. All right, well, I think we took care of that. Now, if some new gun owner listens to this show, they'll be like an expert. Uh, I thought I had a gun shop for the day. I guess I didn't. So why don't we leave this one up to Pink. It's been a while since you gave us a gun shop. One of the reasons we do this show on the daily so we can talk about a new gun shop every day. Uh, new gun shop? Um, I'm going to say Phoenix Tactical. Let me pull it up here. A new one around here that just opened shop. Just opened or reopened? Um, just opened. He he used to be a like um a home FFL, and he actually got his 
uh, storefront. Well, I can't find a website, but I found uh, Phoenix Tactical in Ohio here on Google. Oh, did you? Yep. Oh, there it is. Standalone little shop. Which yeah, he's pretty, uh, pretty much big in the... Uh, he does a lot of used guns, too. Don't feel quiet. Yeah, we're looking at this looking, shop. Looking at pretty, pretty pictures of that new shop. Yeah, he's, um, I know he just started selling the Black Rifle coffee and all the stuff like that. Oh, well, this is shop pretty recent, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Now the inventory looks like a lot of AR-15s and stuff. Yeah, he was... Um, I know he was always bragging about like when they... When that thing in Florida happened, and they were talking about the, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds shouldn't have uh, rifles. He was on Facebook saying, if you're 18, 19, 20, come on in. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, he, he does. I mean, he, he does have a large used gun uh, category also. I mean, that's a good thing. It's nice when you go into a place and maybe you can't afford that brand new gun, but you can get something nice that's been used. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, a lot of pictures on here, too. Damn. Not too many of the shop, mostly guns and stuff. Uh, he's a van guy, he's got a van. Use your people, G. Dun, 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 dun. Well, there is a van in the parking lot, yes. Right on. So, uh, looks like it's, uh, it's every day 10 to 8, uh, Saturday 10 to 4, and then closed on Sunday. Yep. We aim to please. Very cool. Phoenix Tactical in... Newark, Ohio. So that's our gun shop today. If you ever want to uh, recommend a gun shop, let us know. You can email us at dailygunshow at gmail.com. Uh, anybody else want to talk about anything else tonight? Actually, I'd like to tag something onto the, the daily gun shop topic, if I could. Sure. So, you know, like we just looked at a shop that, you know, Pink was talking about. This was started up by one guy. You know, it's his shop. He's not a big corporation, and that's what the vast majority of gun shops are or were. They're run by families. They're run by individuals. Every now and then, they're collaborations of friends who run them, and they really do rely on the support of their customers and of us in general. And this particularly hits a hard spot with me because I just found out yesterday that a gun shop and a range that I used to go to when I lived in California uh, got forced out and closed. So, you know... That for everybody who lived in the uh, central San Francisco, Daly City, Coma, that whole peninsula area, 
they now no longer have a gun range. They no longer have, uh, they have, they're now down to one gun shop in that whole area that is actively selling firearms, but they no longer have a, a gun shop with a range in it. So it's important that we support those local shops if we want to see them uh, stay up and open and be there for you. You know, it's important to support them. And you know, we lost a, what it was a great gun shop. It was small called Jackson Arms in um, South San Francisco. They were good people. They'd been there a long time. They helped get a lot of people into shooting, but they just couldn't keep up with the big box market that everybody was going to. So support your local gun shops. So uh, it was financial. It was not a big developer coming in, looking to buy land to put in houses. No, they got put out just because they could no longer afford the rent and everything over there is my understanding of it. Okay. They just couldn't get enough support. And it's ridiculous because, you know, they were a place that was always busy. They were always busy. Everybody went there for the range, but they just couldn't get enough support. And I can understand the frustration, you know, it's difficult when people come in with all their guns, they went and bought at the big box store or the stuff they ordered online. You know, it's saving 20 bucks on a, on a gun because you got it online is not worth, it's worth giving, paying the extra 20 bucks to that gun shop. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, but that's an example of a one-time sales, the repetitive sales that gives them money and typically in something with a higher markup. My point is, Dano, is that these family shops, every dollar counts. And, and, and that is true. Um, but it's, so, it, it's, it's the time you, you going there again and again and again for whatever accessory boxes of ammunition, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, like repetitive I'm, sales. Like I'm saying, and you know, I bought ammo there when I lived out there, even though I normally had to pay two bucks more per box per ammo, but that was fine. I was willing to pay that extra two bucks to help support those local businesses. So just remember sometimes when you think you're getting a great deal, is that two bucks or five bucks that you're saving really worth it? Or would you rather keep that out there to make sure we keep these family gun shops open? Well, that's, you know, that goes, goes into a whole, another related subject that I think is important to talk about it. And as an example, I'm willing to pay more for at my local gun shop than I am online, but there is a point of which I'm not willing to pay. And that's not 50% more. Uh, so it does kind of depend. And I'm not, and, and this is separate from, from the issue you're talking, you're talking about a particular gun shop and that's what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about uh, the point of, of, of the line between buying something online, buying it at your local place. Yes, I want to be the guy that supports the local place, but we all have a pricing point of which we think is a re reasonable cost. Okay, so a hundred dollar, no, let's say a three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollar item, because that's more realistic. If it was a gun or something, four hundred dollar item. How much are you willing to pay at a gun shop? So your answers can be four twenty, can be four. 50 it can be 500 it could be 380 so a 400 dollar item and that doesn't necessarily mean retail that's like how much it's going to go for most places that you've talked to people online 400 dollar mm -hmm. item cycle camp well there's there's two things about buying at your local gun shop first of all they don't charge you for the transfer and for me that's a minimum of 25 bucks even if i go to my really good guy who supports my uh, my marksman's club? He gives us a twenty five dollar transfer, and and then you got to pay shipping, and shipping is usually typically twenty twenty five bucks. So uh, yeah, you know up to fifty bucks 
more uh, for a for a for a firearm, four hundred dollar firearm. I I would consider that because because uh, that's what I would pay in shipping and and uh, transfer charges anyway. Wait, how much was your price then? So I I would say four fifty. Okay, dead horse. He refuses to answer. <laughs> Gary? Well, I was trying to think about that. I've gone as much as 25 or 30 over. I take into account how far I'd have to drive, and the city taxes in a big city are a lot more than where I live, too. So I'm really not saving that much money by driving 30 miles to save 25 or 30 bucks. So I could see the 50. Yeah. That'd be about all I'd want to do. Uh, for a four hundred dollar gun, uh, fifty bucks. Uh, sure. Uh, 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 and I say four fifty minimum. I might be willing to pay slightly more than that. Dog. For the privilege to actually get to handle the gun and know that's the gun I want before I buy it, I'll be more than happy to spend fifty to even possibly as much as a hundred. I uh, sorry, I was just got back from using the restroom there i i i would rather have i I'll, i would pay a lot more on that to have a gun in my hand to this yeah visit visually see the gun i'm getting before i for actually number. pay for it we're looking for a number no party average is 450 for this 400 dollars gun um i'd probably go up to five and then pink yeah anywhere from 450 to five one to hands better than two in the bush. The correct answer was four twenty because that's forty two. So <laughs> <laughs> I that's forty two times ten. So that's like ten times the correct answer. But no, I think you guys are right. It's it's worth a lot. I've I've definitely paid more for smaller guns for less for less expensive guns. Paid more because. Usually it's because it's the one that, you know, you can you can only get that kind of stuff sometimes when you find it at a shop. You know, you can't even, it's the stuff I've been looking for with the Saturday Night Specials and that isn't the kind of stuff people put online. So even if I wanted to find it online, even if people were selling it, they don't think to put that stuff online. So it almost takes discovering it out places. Yeah, so you're willing to pay a little bit of a premium because there are guns that don't show up that much. Yeah, that it actually existed. I'm thinking of a laser one I bought that I can't even imagine how many of them even exist. And although I'd rather have bought an old beat up one, you know, I paid I paid way too much for this fancy one just because you know it was something to help complete a collection. And I don't get a choice. There are just not that many of them. And it, and I figure sometimes you figure there's always a potential you're going to find one from somebody who doesn't know what it is or doesn't care. Or wants you to have it cheap, you know that'd be great. That does happen, but there's also people out there that think theirs is made out of gold and it's the only one that exists, and somehow you owe them something extra special just for purchasing it from them. And I won't purchase from people like that, but I will pay full and a little bit more when it's the only one available, and the people aren't, you know, they're aware of what they got and they know that it's worth what it is, and they're not going to go down on it. I'll I'll still buy something once in a while. Yeah, let, let's be clear. No one's saying go in there and 
you know, get ripped off just because you want to support your local shop. But just understand that local shops do have to charge a little bit more. But there are there are good local shops and bad local shops. I mean, I have I have two local shops here and they both are very reasonable when they take a gun in on consignment or if they buy a used gun, they don't double the price. You know, I mean, they look for a reasonable profit. And because I shop there a lot, the, the two that I shop at, I typically get 10 percent off the ticketed price at a minimum. So, you know, and. and that's good to have those guys around, but unfortunately, because of the kinds of guns that I buy, uh, typically it's, uh, it's unusual for them to have them in stock. You know, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I go to Wanamakers is because, you know, I mean, Christ, you can find just about anything you ever wanted to buy down there. Whereas, you know, locally, uh, and, and I notice this a lot in, in, the, in the central States, you know, trying to find like mill syrups that haven't been, uh, buggered up for you know as deer hunting rifles is really tough and so you gotta you gotta buy what you gotta buy but but my two local guys are very reasonable and and like i said you gotta you gotta factor in the shipping and you gotta factor in the the fact that when you buy a gun in a gun store they don't say okay and now give me another another 35 bucks for for the transfer and that you know that that's significant money. I mean, you're talking you know fifty to seventy dollars, depending on on how much they they charge for a normal transfer. Another issue is if you buy something from a local guy and you immediately have an issue with it, is he going to try to assist you in working it out, or is he just going to point you straight to the manufacturer and have hands completely off? Somebody who's willing to handhold you or assist you with the issue is worth a lot more to me. If somebody just says, well, call the number in the, in the owner's manual as if I bought it online. Yep. And again, those are all services you're getting from, or you should right. be getting from local shop. You're not going to get those from your big box stores. You're not going to get those from an online retailer. And that goes, well, if, if, if it's a brand, if it's a brand new gun, even a local gun store will say, look, you know, your best bet is for us to ship this back. You know, they, you know, because, you know, obviously the, the, the manufacturer warranties his product and it, it's a burden on the local gun store to make something right with a brand new gun. So I don't, I don't really have a problem if I buy a brand new, you know, brand spanking new gun, like a Ruger or something, and I have a problem with it and I bring it back and they say, look, we're going to send, we're going to send it back. I don't really have a problem with that. Oh, no, I, there's yeah. a lot of. Any shop said, "Here's your brand new gun with a problem. I'm going to work on it." No, I don't. I'd be more skeptical of that. Like you're sending it back to the company that built it to make it right. It's under warranty. I don't want somebody who doesn't know what they're doing to do anything to this gun that's under warranty. Let it go back to the people who know how to work it. But right, but certainly lost. with used guns, you you definitely want to deal with a. You definitely want to deal or or doing stuff like I, I bought a new gun. Uh, I wanted a, 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 a bullseye gun, a rifle, and I wanted to put a scope, scope on it. And they offered to set the scope up for me. And, I, you know, that was great. You know, I didn't have to because I don't do that kind of stuff. And it was great that they had the both of the shops that I, that I deal with have internal smiths. And if you need that kind of service, they're right there. And if you buy something used and you have a problem, they're right there for you. And that's a real advantage. I think there's another advantage too is you be maybe buying a 
specific model of gun that they're fairly experienced with and that they've sold a lot of or you know that they might own themselves and they might be able to tell you right off the bat hey you know that sig you're buying like i we found that this brand of ammo brand a of, of ammo shoots really really good out of it right like and stuff like that so you know there's a lot of firsthand experience there and uh, little tips and tricks that they can give you on you know on guns that you might not get at you know the guy behind the counter at walmart yeah i mean typically speaking when you're talking about the mom and pop gun shops you're talking about people who shoot you know when you go to the big box store that kid behind the counter took his test and got his little company certification he might have never fired a gun in his life. Uh, so that experience is one of the things that's nice in many gun shops. We started out talking about uh, how much we're going to spend over, you know, the general accepted cost of something to make our local gun shops a couple extra bucks or to, you know, keep the money local or whatever the concept is. Um, I think there's something to it where, it all depends, I guess, on the size of the town or the number of shops you have available to you. But um, <clears throat> depending on what you're doing, I've had this experience at least as a collector, cycle might. I don't know if the other guys, what kind of guns you're buying or what kind of quantities. But uh, at least as collector or as somebody who's looking for a specific thing, if you uh, buy stuff at your local shops, that ain't, that that's like literally the way to encourage them buy it again and on the other side of that somebody sold that to them uh you they either went out to like wanamaker where shops from all over the country will come to wanamaker knowing what shops all over the country are going to be bringing and looking for and they'll do all their swapping back and forth as ffls to each other you know you know and scenes and before the show even happens you know, before and after you know the event opens for the day so you know, they're outsourcing stuff. They know what people are looking for. You can come in a hundred times and say, I'm looking for a Winchester so-and-so. But if you come in and buy one or two or three, guess what shop is looking for Winchesters for you? You know, you're an established buyer at that point. So uh, depending on what you're looking for, revolve or something, um, you know, there's those people that collect or that acquire. And it's like, I'm only going to find the one perfect one ever. And then there's people that'll step their way up. You know, I, I can get this 1911. It's not the exact one I want. I'm looking for a World War I, you know, 1911. But I'll buy this World War II 1911 A1 off of this shop knowing that somebody sold it to them. And that means that person might be motivated to bring their next 1911 to this shop. And all the people that are, you know, at home, with, have 1911 at home and are paying attention to this consignment 1911, if they see it move at that shop, you know, there's something to that and you want to be part of that cycle. You know, you want to be part of that, um, you know, economy there. And if you just sit around watching those uh, transactions happen or never take part in them, you know, you're, you're only going to see what other people do. If you start buying stuff and and then, okay, a better one comes along, you, you trade, you sell yours, you know, now you're part of that whole collector's community or whatever and, and you start to get a seat at the table. Is that the way to say it? Yeah, you you get to have a little bit of a little influence in that shop when you're a regular. You're very right. Yeah, I mean, if that shop's got a certain amount of time to spend at the next gun show they go to, or somebody comes in with six guns, and they're going to buy, you know, three of them from them, 
Um, they're not sure about that fourth one, but heck, you've already bought three of those Winchesters. Sure, let's take a gamble. Let's buy that Winchester. Now you're seeing a new Winchester because of your, you know, past purchase history. Whereas, you know, that shop might have said, well, I know one guy's going to come in and ask if I had this Winchester, and he'd certainly like to look at it, but he's never bought nothing, and I can buy three more of these Colts instead. And that happens a lot. You can't imagine how often an old guy will come in with his own collection or widow comes in with her husband's dwindling collection. Um, and, you know, here's my list. Do you want to buy anything from it this week, this month? You know, whatever it is, this tax season, you know, I need to sell stuff. And the shops will know, you know, this person's going to come in with this list of Winchesters and they're going to want a little bit more than, you know, I'm really comfortable to just buy them all from them. But again, if you've got a customer who comes in and they're just buying every Winchester such and such that you're you're acquiring, then that's going to give that shop a incentive to, to buy some stuff that you're interested in. Yep. Pawn shops a little bit faster turnaround. Very true. Um, but yeah, again, like we all said, there's all these different reasons and things that you're only going to get in these smaller gun shops, you know, uh, and especially like when you're getting somebody new into firearms, it's a lot better if you can take them someplace where they're going to see the same people behind the counter regularly to help answer questions or to help them with their ammo selection or their next gun choice when you're not around versus taking them to some store where, you know, the next time they come in because they have a problem or because they're looking for advice on what to buy, they're, what's the likelihood that they're going to see the same person if you take them to some big box store or you buy them something offline? All right. Well, if you want to throw anything else in there, feel free. Otherwise, we got a question a bit ago from Centurion. How many rounds do you guys put through a gun before you'll carry it? For me, like a Glock or something, probably 300. Um, I'm probably about the same with you when it comes to the striker fires, and then I usually put about 500 through a 1911. I only buy guns that are good. If I'm going to carry it, because that's what he said, right? Before you'll carry it. So if I'm going to carry a gun, it's only going to be a good one. And I'm only going to shoot it to make sure, you know, something didn't get through quality. You know, so I'm just going to give it a bit of abuse. And I'll throw it around, beat on it a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, if it's a couple hundred rounds, easy. And then... Uh, it's got it's got a excuse me it's got to cycle my carry ammo because with the uh, a lot of carry ammos have trouble feeding through some guns so yeah that's a, that's an important point I think most of us do that but don't necessarily think of it out loud but yeah that's important to mention that and I would certainly go with the you know if if it's a, to me a known entity that a, a brand and a model that I'm already familiar with such as the glock uh brands uh around 200 uh rounds if there are no no issues you know feeding or ejecting uh if it's something that i'm not as well familiar with uh at least 400 and then it has to be at that point where i'm not having feed or eject issues and and as pink mentioned again it's feeding and then that's with the ammo that i'm going to uh carry but it's you know zero malfunctions are, is, is the only standard 
Yeah, because I, I had a, I bought a 9, was it a 938, SIG 938, and it ran carry ammo all day. But uh, it was having trouble beating my, uh, or it, it was running range, range ammo all day, but it was having trouble carrying my feed ammo as because of the uh, shape of the carry ammo. So Yankee had told me to buy the, um, what is that, Hornady with the uh, red tips or whatever, the extreme mm-hmm. defense or whatever. And it started cycling that. So, yeah, it's an important point. Some guns don't like certain brands of hollow points. Yeah, I don't have. I mean, I don't change carry guns. I mean, some, a lot of people change carry guns like they change their shirts. But uh, I have, I have uh, one, two, three. I have four main carry guns any one of four i have one that i carry all the time but but i have up to four that i might carry and when i went through those uh the first thing i did was pull a pull a uh you know owner's manual and if the owner's manual suggested a break-in period i shot that minimum numbers of, of rounds as a baseline and then i shot a box each of the three or four different kind of carry rounds that I was interested in. And, uh, if they went through those, okay, then you know, if they hiccup, then, then that carry round was off the table. But if they went through with the carry round, okay, then usually I would go through two more boxes and whether it was a 25 round box or, or, you know, 20 round box or a 50 round box, uh, usually it'd be another couple of boxes. So once, once I get through, you know, once I selected a carry round that was going to be okay, I went a couple more boxes in that. And if they cycled, you know, squeaky clean, then I would consider that an okay gun to carry. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, necessarily into the hundreds and hundreds of rounds unless the gun required. I had one gun where they suggested that you put at least a hundred rounds through it to break it in. And uh, so I did that. And then on top of that, you know, I, I went through the testing with the two or three different kinds or three or four different kinds of carry rounds. And uh, I've, I've actually sold off quite a few boxes of carry rounds because, uh, you know, a lot of them, they just don't work in the smaller guns because I like smaller guns. And, and uh, a lot of those uh, a lot of those guys just do not cycle well through a, a striker fired semi-automatic at all. So then if you're going to go through that kind of testing where you go through the factory break-in and then you go through with each of the carry rounds and like say three or four uh, per caliber sounds like um, how many times can a gun fail with different ammo before like in other words if it fails with one kind of ammo out of four okay you don't use that ammo if it fails with two different kinds of ammo out of four or three different kinds of ammo out of four where do you draw the line and you say it's not the ammo that's not working with this gun I'm, this gun isn't working for me. It would have to fail with every. It would have to fail at least once with every kind of ammo I tried to put through it. Wow! As soon as I find an ammo where it just runs and I don't get a failure, because remember, I don't. I don't put just one box of ammo through. After I think it's working okay, I'll put another box or two of that same ammo through it again. Yeah, but for me, any issues, any glitches, is an indication that that gun's finicky, and I don't have any time for that. 
as long as one's ruled out uh, the, a magazine issue, like like the feed lips of the magazine, like gee, I it, I only does jams or whatever when I put in this magazine A versus magazine B, it never jams on. You may have a magazine issue. Jams. How many classes you've been to? Right, but that that, that but that's atypical. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I you definitely you definitely you generally can tell. Because if you're shooting a couple of boxes of ammo, you're going through all the same magazines again anyway. You, you can tell what's what's hung up and what's not hung up. And you're right. I mean, I have had, like my little DB380, I had trouble with that. And it turned out I had a, one bad magazine. And every time that magazine came into the mix, it hung up. But, you know, we're, you know, we're all smart enough to figure that stuff out, I think. But, but you, you, you definitely have some ammo that just will not. Like I have, I, I hate to say it. But I have well, what the hell's that gold stuff? Uh, gold dot shit. Yeah, gold dot. I have a terrible uh, time with gold dot ammunition. I've had three or four guns where that shit just would not cycle. Ugh. And I don't know if it, it's got to be the shape of a projectile. It just gets it. You know, you know, I get uh, failures to feed. It won't go in a battery, and you know, jams up, and it's just, it's just. Spear gold dot sucks as far as I'm concerned. I, I hate that ammunition. I, I have terrible time with it. Sounds like it's picky about uh, length and width and uh, the steepness of feed ramps, different feed ramps. Right, and I think it's because they're smaller guns. I, I think smaller guns are very, they tend to be kind of fussy. And I end up, I to be honest with you, I end up using the old Federal 90% of the time. That shit loads like a son of a bitch. That's good stuff. Yeah, the funny, funny thing is about that SIG 938, it wouldn't even run the SIG branded ammo. That is a little funny, but anyway, that's that's my that's my mechanism is shoot shoot the minimum manufacturer's minimum requirement to break the gun in. I usually take it through three or four kinds of uh, of uh, carry ammo, and then when I find one that works real well, I'll do at least a box or two of that on top of that, and it's got to run flawless, or I won't carry it. Well, I mean, we've all been looking at this and talking about this so far from a mechanical aspect, but from the human aspect, especially for new shooters, it would be advised for them, like Cycle was saying, to try a couple different types of carry ammo because there's a big, you know, there's, there's not a huge difference between the feel in certain guns, but some guns will react differently depending on how hot, how hot the ammo is. Um, and, you know, that's where the shooter preference comes in. But it's a good idea for them to think about that because if they're firing, if they bought, you know, some defense ammo that was plus P plus and their accuracy disappears because of kick or whatever, then um, it'd be good for them to take that into consideration during that break in time before they start carrying it. Well, I would do two things. After I yawned, after I yawn, I'm going to say, I keep forgetting to do this at the beginning of the show, but it's Free Patch Friday, and uh, we wouldn't be here online or on gun channels or any of this stuff if we didn't have people supporting our projects uh, through uh, either Patreon and uh, or the uh, Gear Website Store. So every Friday at the Gear Website Store, uh, we say thanks to anybody who purchases anything. No minimum orders, no coupons, no codes, no nothing. Uh, you get free patches. And uh, we've had quite a few people order today. Really appreciate that. And we want to say thanks by doing a 
bit of an extra bonus today. So uh, even though really a bunch of the stuff went out because it was purchased before the mail went out, a lot of that stuff's already in the mail. Um, but we're going to uh, do a random thing later on at the end of the show. And then I had some packages that I had set up with um, uh, stuff trying to raise funds for the tour before I left in September. And uh, I, I was noticing that those bags are still set up. So I'll, I'm going to send one of those bags out to somebody. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, purchases today, and that's awesome. That's what keeps us going. So uh, it's an easy way to say thank you. And uh, anybody that wants to jump in on that, we got a bit more of the show. But uh, since we're talking about breaking in guns, um, we've been talking about the performance of the machine. But there's another aspect to it, and I'm going to throw it back. At what point do you feel that you, the human being, are comfortable with your interface with that new gun? So assuming that it's a new frame, new platform, new size, whatever, um, how long before you feel you're comfortable or is it a number? And then you could do that in number of rounds. So as if it's your initial break-in period, is if that's enough for you to be comfortable that that gun's going to work for you? Uh, or does it seem to be less or more uh, cycle? Two targets. So by the time you shoot targets, you know if that gun's going to work. Yep, I, I, it's either for me. It's it's by the time I'm on my second target, if I haven't got that gun to perform the way I need it to perform, if I can't hit what I'm pointing at when I'm you know consistently, then it it doesn't take very much time for me at all. I don't I don't waste a lot of time um, on uh, on firearms that I that I don't shoot well. Okay. Dead horse. Um, I'd say about second mag. Okay. Is where I whereas I where I know like hey this gun's gonna work for me like it's shooting well, you know not not the mechanical like how reliable the gun is just you know like if it if that gun's gonna mesh with me I, I know pretty quick. Okay, Gary. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm kind of like dead horse on that. You know pretty quick whether the gun feels good and whether it's working good. But as far as getting used to it, uh, I also like to, since I'm a pocket carrier, I like to actually carry it around the house for a while and get the feel for it because every gun feels a little bit differently if you pocket carry. And make sure it's still comfortable for you to get around and everything and everything feels right. You know, unload it get it in and out of the pocket a few times, get used to that too. Everyone's going to be a little different in that respect. Don't go in, don't go into it cold, but at a certain point you get comfortable with it. Yeah. What's that point though? I think that's different for every person. That's <laughs> no, that's valid. That's a tough question. Cause it's going to be different for a little revolver than a big uh, dip gun or whatever. Down. Okay. Well, I was going to say, and how much experience you have with, you know, maybe a lot of guns in general, because if you've shot a bunch of, let's say, snub-nosed revolvers, chances are the next one you get's not going to probably be much different than the 10 you've shot before. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you've shot a lot of guns and owned a lot of different guns, then I, I think that it, it lessens that time. If you're getting something like a snub nose and you've never had a snub nose revolver before, yeah, that's going to take a lot longer to probably get used to and, and to mesh with, right? 
than if you've already owned a dozen in the past. Look at this, man. Dog body. So excluding the mechanical, which is what we were talking about before, in terms of like me being comfortable with the platform to carry, uh, 30 minutes of draw practice and at least two days of carrying it to see how I like the feel. Oh, that's interesting. So I corked Dano there, so pink. Again, you cork worked me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a point of letting people know. Um, I can usually tell on the first mag. I mean, if I can't hit one point in that, all right, in that first mag, then yeah, there's it's it's going to be a problem. Now we'll go back to Dana. Okay. Um, first, uh, the way that I view it uh, is, uh, and and everybody can start laughing at me now. Is this is is uh, uh, my gun, my holster, and me? The three of us are kind of like dance partners. We all have to be in time with each other. Okay. And it all starts with the draw. It does not matter how accurate you are with that gun if it gets tangled up in your shirt when you're attempting to draw it to save your life. So I've got to be comfortable drawing it and being able to clear my the clothes that I normally wear uh, until I feel. So that's perf it's performance-based. That's step one. And step two is with that draw combining the firing. Is, is, is Can I repeatedly hit the type of accuracy that I am accustomed to getting with my other concealed carry guns. If, if it's subpar, then the answer is no, because it, it's, again, it's performance-based. If it's equal to or greater than, then yes, it's ready. But it's it's strictly performance-based. It's not time-based. It's not number of shots-based. Well, that works, because I'm going to do the same thing, so better. So... <laughs> Have you had any training or what? So... uh I also agree it's performance-based, so I don't know. I mean, it, I look at firearms the same way I think I might look at vehicles or tools or something. You know, I would use it for some jobs, and I would use a Ferrari for other jobs, but I wouldn't use a Ferrari or I would use a Jeep, right? So I look at the machine first, and sorry, but Glocks are the machine that have the, the reputation of working, and I can shoot any gun. You know, it's the interface with the gun is just how you grip it and shooting it. So just to, I can't imagine shopping for a vehicle by what, which vehicle has the comfortablest seat or the fanciest dashboard and then applying that vehicle to whatever job you needed to have to be doing. Um, you know, if you happen to jump into a, like a Ford truck and it, you know, it's comfortable for you and that happens to be a good all around vehicle, then great. But I don't like the idea of having to have a gun fit my hand because my art, my skeleton is different than somebody else's skeleton. And what might be comfortable for me is not going to be comfortable for somebody else. And that doesn't, you know, a gun doesn't just come to our level of expectation or our level of need because it's comfortable. So I look at it as which is the most dependable, useful tool. And then, you know, buy it and then shoot it and then i shoot them well, i don't know i haven't switched guns i guess i'm kind of a fud in that direction i don't buy a gun to carry it for some other reason and then try to shoot it you know try to learn how to shoot it except for the ruger i haven't really strayed from glocks in a while 
Do you guys have a uh, mean number of rounds without failures that, uh, you know, like, let's say you have a gun that you like to carry and it malfunctions, you know, one out of every 500 rounds. Like, is that like, oh, that's still okay for me to carry or like, no, that's not, not good enough. It's got to go 2000 rounds without a malfunction or, you know what I mean? Like, like, is there a mean number of rounds that have that, that you look for? you know before you'll carry a gun zero if it's a gun's fault like exclusively the gun's fault zero like if there's a problem with the gun then it's out of the rotation and it's getting a new gun in there yeah you my know? my my carry guns uh once i settle on a particular piece of ammunition if that gun malfunctions again it's out it's off the it's off the table yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. Once I have a gun and I've made sure that the malfunction was not somehow user error, that gun's out of rotation until I can figure out exactly why it did what it did. Yeah. And even then, and even then I've got to put it, once we get it, you know, if I think it's a, a spring or something, once that's repaired, we, go, we start the whole uh, process all over again. But ideally, you're paying attention to your perishable parts, your springs and whatnot, so that you're replacing those with preventive maintenance before they fail and you ever have malfunctions due to that kind of thing. Yes, so ideally. Else, like a worn part or something, you know, those are harder to anticipate, but that shouldn't, again, you're not you're going to change a barrel before it wears. So those kind of things are, you know, those are what do you call it like terminal like if there's a problem where it's just a weird glitch it's getting sold but i haven't had that with my guns yeah and and, and you're right that there's also the issue with magazines because the magazine on a semi-automatic is the most is the the part that fails the most often and if you if you get the type of malfunction that indicates a magazine issue i might take the magazine out of rotation but i won't necessarily down the gun Exactly. If it's, if it's running fine with all the other magazines. Then you blame the mag or the ammo or something. That's what I was thinking of. Too. Yeah. yeah, magazine for sure. You just you mark your mags. That's one of the reasons you mark them. As soon as you get a skeptical, you try in a couple of guns, it's out of there. Throw it away. Yep. You, uh, G, you raised a, a, a very good point, I think. And I know I do this for training, but I don't necessarily do always do it. And I, I have it with my carry guns only because I've been to, to training with my carry guns is marking your magazines. So that you know, you know, if something goes wrong, oh, that was magazine number number C or F or two or however it is you mark them. And the next time it, it, it malfunctions, what magazine was that? Was that the same magazine or a different magazine? Because then you can start, it helps in the diagnosis as far as is it magazine related, is it ammo related, or is it gun related? To yeah, my my primary carry gun is three magazines and they're all different. So I don't have a problem with that because one's a, a plain flat magazine. Another one has a pinky and the third one is an extended. So it, it's, it's pretty easy for me to tell which one is which. And, 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 and I like that because it goes back to the it's performance related. I don't care if, it, if my magazines are from three different manufacturers as long as they all have 100% performance. So uh, go ahead, Doug. No, go ahead. Go ahead, horse. But uh, I was gonna say, uh, Cycle brought up a point earlier about like how he's had several guns, uh, small guns that didn't like gold dots. Does anyone here have like a very specific brand of like self-defense ammo that like that's your brand? That's all you use in your guns. 
And if you got a, if you get a gun that doesn't run that specific brand, then are you like, oh no, different gun, or do you, or do you just switch to another brand of ammo that that gun runs reliably? I'm close to that point with Federal HST. Uh, I'd be willing to, to as an example, you know, if a gun didn't run Federal HST, to try a box of gold dots, because that's a, another brand that I'm very confident in. It has a long trail. Uh, history of performance. I keep notebooks for most of my guns where I log like maintenance information and whatnot. Uh, so if I find that a particular gun absolutely hates a certain ammo, I usually notate that to make sure that I don't buy that ammo and try to load it into any of the magazines designated for that gun. Is gold dot because it's cheap because the border patrol uses it and uh, it works. So I'll switch. Well, I don't know about gold dot being cheap. <laughs> when the border patrol's using it, we get it at bulk. Oh. Now I have a question because it was brought up about marking magazines. Now, does anybody have a particular way that they like to mark magazines? I like to have my magazines marked for their specific gun. So even though I have, you know, a bunch of magazines that'll, because I own a couple copies of the same gun, each of those guns has their own designated magazines for it. Yeah, it uh, for, I, I do. Uh, for as example, for my, my Glocks, uh, I, I use a system of its capacity, dash, and then a number. So example for, uh, uh, my 15 rounders, which are the Glock, the Glock 19, it'll be 15-1, 15-2, 15, -1, 15 3 etc. So I can just look at it from 10 feet away and, and, and tell it, oh, is that, that for my Glock 19 or is that for my Glock 26 or is that for my, uh, is that a, a range mag that's 17 rounds, which is actually for a Glock 17 that I don't have, um, or is that something else? Well, I was referring to more like if you actually own two copies of the same gun. For example, I carried two Glock 19s for years for work. And I had those magazines marked out specifically for which gun they, each magazine was for. I've never had two of the same gun at the same time. So. Come on. But, but I run my magazines, like, uh, from my 10-rounders, my 15-rounders, my 17-rounders, all from my Glock 26. So we're going to take a quick poll. How many copies of your carry gun do you own? Cycle. Now, now I feel bad because I have one, but I'd like to have two. Okay, dead horse. My main carry gun, just one. Gizzard, just one. Dano, we already know. The dog, currently three. Yeah, but I have interchangeable magazines. Think. <laughs> um, I've got one copy of pretty much well. Both of my uh, carry guns. If it has the same fire control group, does it still count? I don't know. I mean, I guess if it's the same, if there's a certain amount of swappable parts, so if it's like two models of Glock, I guess you could almost say they're the same. Yeah, because I've got two 9Cs, two 9s, um, the 9 long slide, and the magazines in every one of those guns fits in all of them. They're all interchangeable. Well, more than just magazines, though. Having a 
duplicate backup to your carry gun. What if something happens to your carry gun? You're going to have right. to switch some weird gun. So I think having a duplicate copy of your backup gun is always a good idea, if not a couple. Well, but there's there's other ways to split that. Like I have three different carry guns. I have one that's that's very slim for what I'll call summer carry, the Glock 43. Then I have a Glock 26 that's kind of like any time of the year. And then I have a Glock 19, which I can use in the wintertime or for uh, what I'll call home defense sort of a thing. All right, so maybe you could say the 26 and the 19, but not really. And then you just only get a second of that other one. I think you should have at least two of them carry guns. The way I feel. I had five of my old carry guns. With the 41, I can't afford it, but I will have a second one eventually. Well, and the reason I raised the question is because a lot of times that's how I uh, determine whether or not a magazine is a problem for the gun. Because I'll be like, okay, these, this gun's having an issue with this magazine. I'll use it in its copy gun that and if that gun runs it then then i know something's not wrong with the magazine all right so we're going to do another poll unless somebody wants to throw something else in there on that um joseph was asking do you carry a secondary gun cycle no okay. i'm i'm one one gun kind of guy uh dead horse 99% of the time, yes. Gary? If I'm in a car, I'll have one in the console besides the one I'm carrying on me. Mm, okay. Dana? Well, until I lost, or I shouldn't say lost, but left my concealed carry vest in a hotel room, I used to do it all the time. Now I just carry one. Doug? Uh, there's always vehicle guns, but as far as on my person, anytime I'm working, I always carry two guns. Think. Yep, always two. Wintertime, yeah. I usually have a forty-five as a backup, and then whenever I travel, I carry that uh, forty-three. I also like two. Two is one. Yeah, like if I'm if I'm gonna die in some kind of gunfight, it's not going to be for a lack of shooting back because of a gun malfunction or something and i've read from several different uh credible sources that have been in like multiple gunfights and stuff like that that you know like weapons in your hand are very likely to get hit and disabled in a gunfight in people's hands and stuff like that and uh you know that that's a common thing so if you're in some kind of gunfight uh, you know, defending life and liberty, and your gun, your main, you know, polymer pistol gets hit by a nine millimeter round and renders that pistol completely inoperable. I don't want to die because I only had one gun on, like you know, one one source there. Yeah, see, I'll take that a step further because not only do you run the risk of a gun becoming unoperable, uh, what if you, you know, you let's say that you're you're right-handed, you only you pull from your right hand and. You know, at the beginning of that gunfight, you get shot through the wrist and that hands out of commission. A lot of people have trouble reloading, um, you know, a semi-auto gun or even a revolver one-handed, especially if it's with their offhand. It'd be a lot more, it's a lot more effective if you have a second gun that's ready to go that you can grab with your offhand. Like the well. New York reload, right? Yeah, basically. And it's also one of those things that a lot of people go into the assumption assuming that depending on the scenario, you might not be the only person in the room on your side. 
And having a secondary gun that you can pass off can make the difference for you. That's what I was just getting ready to say. A lot of times you'll be in an alley and having some kind of a standoff with the bad guy and then you know they'll get the drop on you and they'll make you drop your gun on the ground and then the standoff goes on a little ways and then maybe they're grabbing the sack of money or whatever and that's when you can pull out your second gun. There you go. Also, yeah, that's true. It can provide them with the false sense of security like, oh, he dropped his gun. Like, I don't got to worry about this guy now, right? Or I took his gun, right? You know, and uh, yeah. That's a very good point. But seriously, uh, it's easy enough to carry a gun on your waist, and then pocket guns are pretty small. So depending on what your normal stuff is, depending on what you got going on, uh, you know, I personally, in my experience, it's I've never been in a gunfight. I've been never been in a gunfight. Never, I don't even have any scheduled. And uh, I have used my guns because, uh, or my second gun, because let's say one time I was out at a um, uh, nuclear missile silo, that this guy owned and he let me shoot on it so i got i was not gonna not shoot on this silo when i had the opportunity i could clear my one gun out and not have to worry about putting it away empty because i had a second gun so you know if you're just out doing something and you get a chance to recreationally shoot you've got the ability to do so and i've done that 100 percent times more than i've ever had to you know been in a gunfight with an extended you know battle or anything you know, something that Doug uh, mentioned uh, or talked about that I think is extremely important, and I know I don't do it anywhere near enough as much as I should, and that's practice uh, not only offhand shooting, but shooting one-handed and, uh, you know, reloading my magazine from the holster with my offhand and, you know, racking uh, the gun with my offhand either off of more than one surface uh, in case I can't use my other hand to rack it, I eat my belt. Uh, the back of my sh shoe or whatever you have available, a piece of furniture, you know, the side of a building, whatever you got to do to get that thing racked and up and going. Um, and uh, it's something that I don't practice enough, and, and that's criticism of myself. Um, but I think it's something that, you know, we, we all, because if you don't practice it, I mean, you can have it all planned out in your head exactly how it should go. But you, you got to go through, you know, just like a baby learning to walk, those awkward steps and feeling awkward, you know, with your off hand and it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel comfortable to get to the point that you can at least maybe reach the level of adequate. That's the goal. I mean, you'll never get great with your off hand. I mean, maybe some people can. They're ambidextrous. But at least maybe the goal is to be adequate. If not better. And not everybody's capable, but at least as capable as you can be. At the very least, you're familiarized with the motor skills. Yes. You know, oh, I, I can actually reach over to my other side of my hip and insert uh, a ma another magazine in that gun, not using my primary hand. You have to prove it to yourself that you can do it. You know, watching a video of, of, of seeing some guy in the video do it doesn't mean that you can. You have to prove it to yourself to get that confidence that I can't, I can't do it. It's going to feel awkward, and it's not going to go smooth, but right. it will get better. I don't know how we mansplained our way over into this, but we started out with accessories. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to bring it back over to another question coming in from uh, Psycho. Thinking of picking up a smallish, medium, tactical EDC shoulder bag to try. Anyone got brands to look for or stay away from? 
So a smallish to medium EDC shoulder bag. Um, I don't have any preferences on brand. Just remember that there is a fine line between a deal and you get what you pay for. Make sure that the gun carrying compartment is quality and preferably has good trigger guard protection. I'm going to throw expert out there. What? Expert. Right with that one. Uh, that's the one that I have that um, I've got the uh, messenger bag and the uh, the uh, laptop 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 bag. Right on. So X and then V E R T. Yeah. Uh, the inside of it is um, like a felt, almost like the. That's where I attach a lot of my uh, uh, patches oh, to. It. Oh. So uh, if you get one of the uh, holsters that have uh, the backing on it, it'll hold a holster right in its place. And and I think that's a pick has an important point because I've I, I've seen a number of different ones that tend to run the gambit from carriers that are meant to carry a gun and will also hold other things and ones that are meant to hold other things and oh by the way will also carry a gun. Now that may sound weird, but it's the priority of how it was designed. And uh, the setup that Pink is talking about happens to be one of the better ones I think that's out there. Uh, I'm only going to buy stuff made in the USA, so very compliant stuff made for our guys. I don't know about EDC stuff, so if you're looking for like Maxpedition type stuff, um, I don't know, a long time ago when I first got into doing reviews, Maxpedition uh, Max Maxpedition sent us quite a bit of stuff, and I've got experience with theirs and then a couple other brands over the years, but I'm not a big fan of the foreign-made nylons. They seem to be real... Uh, Brittle-ish. I don't know what the word is, but they make noise. Uh, very compliant stuff means that it's sourced out of U.S.-made materials, and uh, I don't know the the materials that they make U.S. nylon out of are quieter. They seem stronger, and when they're sewn, they don't fray. So I prefer U.S.-made materials, not just because I want to keep our money here, but I feel like the U.S.-made materials are better. And uh, I'm just going to you know throw out there like. The ones I use are uh, Spec Ops out of Texas and SO Tech out of California. And then, uh, well, there's a whole bunch. But there's I would go with something made in USA. Yeah, here's the uh, one that I uh, carry. The messenger bag I'm carrying now from Spec Ops, I got in like 10 or 11. And... I use it constantly, and it looks brand new. So you're gonna, it's, if you're going to end up liking the bag, then you're going to end up using it for a while. Uh, I was ultimately frustrated back in the olden days when I would go to school, and I didn't pay no attention. I would just buy whatever school bags were in front of me at the store, and every once in a while you'd find one that you really liked, but inevitably they'd fall apart by the end of the year, right? Like the material, you know what I'm talking about, the nylon starts to fray at the seams because that, that material itself just isn't, substantial it like starts to fray and you know either you'd have to patch it up a bunch of times or you just have to give up on it and buy another bag and these things change so much that it's frustrating if you end up liking the layout of a bag um, trying to 
see, you know, the, the layout, the, the designs change. So you'd have to either go on eBay and buy an old one or something. But uh, that's why I like buying the decent ones. And then if you end up liking it, you've got it forever. If you don't like it, you've got some resale on it. Pink, I got a question about yours. Can you access the gun without having to open the whole thing? Um, this the large handle right here. It uh, kind of hangs down freely, yeah, so if you reach back, you're always going to be able to grab that and find it. And what I what I do is I just yank it in front of me, to where the whole bag just kind of slips in front. You pull that. Uh, zipper open and that's where your uh that's the compartment your uh gun is in so we're going to end up talking we are going to be talking about bags a lot in the future here so uh if people already have videos up start gathering them if you've got some bags that you've had experience with consider doing some videos and we'll have some fun with that because uh one of those things that um, seeing it on the shelf or seeing it on the hanger at a store is one thing, but getting experience from somebody who's used it and the pros and cons and if the bag, you know, the little pouches are useful or not uh, is a whole other thing when you talk to somebody who's actually used it. You know, which zippers wear out, which straps are perfect, or you know, which which things last forever and which don't. So. I don't have any experience with man purses and carrying guns in those, but I did get my wife a concealed carry purse thing from the from the NRA called the Hobo Bag, and it was kind of expensive. It was like almost two hundred bucks, but it looks like a nice leather purse. But uh, you know, it works good. Like, I mean, it looks good, works good. It's you know, for, so for a woman, I would recommend that Hobo Bag. Because that's the only thing I have experience with, and it's just like a leather. It looks just like like a leather purse. As far as like the man purses, I, I don't know. I can't say anything about this. I've never used one. I've just always used just like the cheap, you know, backpacks that fall fall apart every year. <laughs> I should probably invest into it in a good bag, but I've uh, I've never. I don't think I've ever owned like a. The nicest backpack I've ever owned is like, uh, you know, a $30 backpack. So, you know, I've never owned it with like a quality bag. You know, just thinking about it, um, I was thinking back to when I was working at a um, office and would take my bag in and it was just going to hold some stuff 99% of the time, you know. It was just going to, you know, having it organized and everything, it was just going to hold stuff. I wasn't really going to get into it and use it very often. And now I don't really carry that much stuff, so I'm just looking for a big empty bag. A messenger bag is perfect for what I need it for. But uh, it's probably um, use-specific is, I guess, what I'm getting at. You know, it depends on how you're using this thing, what you think you might need it for. Yeah, and I want to clarify that. Hobo, H-O-B-O bag. Hobo bag. Gotcha. I'm not looking so much for a Merce or a messenger bag, more like a backpack that only has one strap. Yeah, we had those from um, Maxpedition. We got the kind that were, I don't know, maybe like a deflated basketball size. You know, they weren't real big. And uh, Joe's wife ended up taking them as purses. 
she really liked them as purses so you could hang keys on them and put stuff in all little pouches so i was used to carrying like a laptop bag for years so you know where you have all sorts of stuff you know shoved in there and different pockets and stuff but i did a couple of those those reviews on those lapg bags i don't i didn't check on the nylon if it's us or not that's something i need to look into <laughs> but you're saying those bags were good though right i've I've just recently got them. I got them within the last you know, month or so for the giveaway for the blind challenge. So I've been kind of going through two of them. Um, I haven't really carried. I took the, the small one, which is the bailout bag. I actually took that to the range uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Day before. Anyway, so it was it was nice. It was a lot nicer than the bag that i had been carrying which was just a you know had two small handles and you know carry around no shoulder thing but you know it, it kept everything separate and it seemed to be nice i didn't use the you know because it's got like a tear away velcro portion so that it kind of opens up as like a along the top for a wider pocket you know and it's uh the felt inside so you can use like the velcro holsters or something in there you know to kind of conceal something because it kind of goes along the seam and you don't really see it so it does you know kind of hide it a little bit but it is a really aggressive uh velcro so i don't know how long that will last you know as far as hard to pull but it has a small pocket with a it's basically a flat for the top pocket is extended a little bit and it's reinforced so that's actually you know you just grab a hold of that and pull it open so i don't know how you know, I mean, if you're in a situation, I guess I, I didn't use it as, as that. It was just more just going to the range. So, but hopefully if somebody wins them, they can uh, do reviews on them too. Man, so many things. So back in the day when I was really into hiking and doing stuff, you would take a bag like that and you'd fill it full of like stuff and shoes or ball like tennis balls or something and you put it in a dryer and run it for a while and see what it looked like after so i don't know if people are doing tests oh. like that um but um well i don't like to say there's lots of stuff we can get into we're going to have some shows specific on gear coming up in the future here um i was just going to say the maxpedition stuff what bugged me about it was all the little pockets and things while they're interesting and it definitely lets you stow stuff like a whole nother thing of stuff to try to remember where everything's at and uh i end up buying sharpies all the time so i keep forgetting i'd find sharpies constantly because i forget where i'd stow them and then i'd literally forget where i stowed them so i'd have to go get another one stow it somewhere forget where i stowed it and then eventually go unpack a couple of bags and have like six thousand sharpies so just stuff like that gets annoying back in the day when we didn't have bags with a million little pockets we would do sub bags so you'd have like a big bag with basically a big compartment and there wasn't such a thing as molly yet so you would just have smaller bags inside of there and one of them would be your this and one of them would be that you know you kind of have them compartmentalized either by color or shape or whatever um and that's a whole nother thing to think about um having a discussion about like how we arrange our bags how we use them and stuff like that 
But in an effort to cut it off because we've been chatting for a bit, I'm going to say, is there anything else? Patriot jumped in. Looks like, um, I guess you're the only one that jumped in. Pink jumped in. You guys have anything that you want to talk about that we've been talking about tonight? Or add to what we've been talking about? Well, I just wanted to add that uh, the Vertex bags, they actually have their own origami where you make your own carriers for your mags and stuff like that. That's the uh, material that holds the uh, holsters right there. Sort of like a Velcro tortilla, and you can wrap up your own magazine burrito. Yeah. I like that. That's nice looking. Is, it is there a material? Is what? It's, it's sort of like a, 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 a cross-shaped piece of hook Velcro on one side and loop on the other. And by the time you start to, to fold the the cross shape around a magazine like a baby in a diaper okay. Okay. it creates a mag or it creates a pocket for whatever it is you shape it around and that's if you were to go drop some money on a high-end bag is there a certain material that you would recommend over everything else is there like a really like oh it's this certain cordura or nylon or you know gore-tex or whatever it is like that's what you want to get you think Cordura is like the is a number of stitches, so like 500 or denier Cordura or whatever. Cordura is, I guess, the material. Denier is, I guess, the other thing. So when you look at it, you're going to see like a number, like a 500,000, 250. Uh, 250 is like a windbreaker. 500 is like a duffel bag. 1,000 is like, you know, a really thick backpack or a shell on a really thick jacket, like a Carhartt jacket or something. So basically you're going to want to, get used to the number thing and then figure out what you're like. I've got a couple of backpacks that are really soft and are made out of good U.S. nylon. And even though they're soft, they're super strong, like you know, stronger than a parachute. Uh, then I've got a couple that are made out of thousand in there, which, like I say, you can't, they don't even wear. Like you can't hurt them. I guess if you fell off a motorcycle onto them or something or parachuted out of a plane into a building or something, they might get abused. But that that's almost like one step down from being Kevlar or something. It's super, super strong. Um, and then that's the only thing I'd consider is real nylon. What about leather? No way. It's too heavy. Fair enough. I mean, I guess it depends. I'm thinking cow leather. So if you're talking like African goat leather, they make baseball gloves out of. But I've never seen anything like that. I mean, if you, if you compare the wearability of leather as compared to the wearability of Cordoba 1000 and, and the weight differences between the two, I'm thinking well, African animals are supposed to have like amazing leather because they live through crazy extremes. Um, but like, so yeah, they also tend to be endangered. But yeah, exactly. I don't see stuff like fancy, whatever African leathers or anything. Elephant skin. Well, I, I was thinking no. it might be might be advantageous for certain people depending on like if they're carrying to their job or something to have a bag made out of leather versus nylon if they had a type of professionalism type of look like it'll look like yeah now i is, is it an issue like i've been into all sorts of stores libraries uh, movie theaters where like they have signs on the doors like no backpacks bags da 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 like uh, i've even been in like like stores you know, like kind of like department stores, they're like no backpacks, bags, da da da. So, like, is that really like 
what kind of issue does that throw up to like if you rely on that as your like carry like that's your go-to thing i think if you're not like a 17 year old they don't care i've never they don't care okay i mean i haven't ever had them say hey sir let me have your bag yeah i've never been stopped going into a department store with a bag even if i had one of those signs yeah i don't know i never have a bag on me so i don't know like i never get asked because i never have a bag so i'm just wondering is that like an actual thing or is that yeah is it just like mainly like they do that for the kids or what well as as long as long as your uh, bag isn't completely empty and then why by the time you're leaving it looks like you're carrying 500 pounds (laughs) that's also where i think the look is important because i think you're more likely if you have something that looks like a a Jansport backpack, you know, there you're more likely to get hassled than if you have something that looks professional and serving a purpose. So, like, what would happen, like, if you were in a store and someone, like, you were leaving and someone's like, oh, like, you got a bag, I need to check your bag or something, right? Like, like how, how would you handle that with a gun in there? Like, cause you don't want to just zip that open and the guy be like gun or like, you know, I don't know. Like how, like, is that a thing with those bags or no? One of them where like Batman has where you shoot it at the ceiling and it's like a zip cord and then it zips you up to the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, whatever. And then zip into your parking lot real quick. Well, I used to, you know, I always wondered about this cause my wife has a purse that she carries in sometimes. And, you know, we've never been stopped, but I'd imagine that if they wanted to look inside her bag, it's not like they're going to physically take her bag from her. You know, she could just tell them, hey, okay, we're, we're going to look in here just so you know, I have a handgun in here and be prepared. <laughs> yeah, I would be like, you're not. But you want to let them actually take control of the bag and actually, like, you know, grab the gun, right? Like, you want to no, let them. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. You have an obligation not to give somebody else your gun, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm willing, as long as I maintain control at all times, show them what's inside, but they're not allowed to be poking or grabbing or taking it, period. That's where it brings up the, the pockets and stuff that are more hidden, where it's not something that's visible. I mean, obviously, if you get... You mean inside the bag, like a hidden flap or a place for the gun to be zipped away? Yeah, well, there's, there's some that have, you know, like the... I know some of the purses, my mom was looking at them, where, the, like, the bottom... There's like a seam or something that that might have like spring form metal, kind of like one of those old uh, coin purse or something, you know, where it kind of you put tension, it'll it'll kind of open up for you, but it's not going to spring open by itself. Maybe, I, I, you know, or Velcro or whatever, where it's more of a hidden pocket. Because I know they have them for the inside, you know, where it's like a seam or something and, it, you know, I guess I don't really look at purses, I guess, but. Do do any of those lock? Like, does it actually have a locking zipper with, like, a little key? All the ladies got to do is put their carry gun into a box of, like, tampons, and then... (laughs) I just got another bag today that I I put out a video. It's a little cheap Allen bag. It's actually my stepdad's, and it, it looks like a almost like a little book briefcase or, you know, one of the small laptop bags. It's just got, you know, two handles on it. It doesn't have a shoulder strap or anything. There's one pocket on the outside and you unzip it. I mean, it's super narrow. 
you know, really thin and it's like felt on the inside. It's got two sleeves that you kind of slide, you know, from both ends kind of to the center, you know, and I mean, to carry it, you would look like, I don't know, traveling vacuum salesman or, you know, a preacher or something with the, you know, with the, something that you keep a book or something in like a planner. Uh, it, it doesn't, I guess it, I don't know what it really looks like. I think it's coyote Brown or something, but you know, there, there's a lot of bags out there that don't look tactical that don't have the Molly and straps and extra pockets dangling off the sides. A lot of people have like a tablet in one of them, like big ass leather yeah. and purse of things you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one side can have your, you know, all your cards and, you know, a tablet in there. And the other side has a, just kind of a flap that just happens to have a, you know, handgun with the, you know, the holster built in or whatever. This one was just a cheap one. I tried searching it on Amazon. I couldn't find out which one it was, but. Yeah, I, I doubt seriously it's good nylon, though. <laughs> Who's to judge you if you get like a hand rubbed leather strap for that and then wear it around your shoulder? your business yeah, <laughs> i gave it back today so so That's we got a lot of people out there saying they're checking out to go hunting we're recording this on a friday night and i guess it's a deer season everywhere so good luck on your hunts looking forward to people posting pictures of whatnot um we kind of started wrapping up there but again we're probably running almost two hours getting closer to two hours than one hour anymore so I appreciate everybody that jumps in. We do a late night show here. Our goal is eventually to have a noontime show, and we'll be kind of commenting on those noontime subjects at this uh, get-together, this panel discussion at night. But until then, I appreciate everybody that's been uh, patient with the uh, craziness of the schedule and the concept of this show and uh, the people that stick around and give us the thumbs up over there, even the usually three or four people that give us a thumbs down. So that, like I say, seems to uh, draw attention to the, sh the shows over on the YouTube. Thanks to the people over on GunStreamer who can now take the show. Uh, as soon as we post it and it renders into a show, it gets pulled over to GunStreamer thanks to their automated system over there. So now not only do we have it on a better platform, a platform that doesn't hate guns, doesn't hate our culture or our lifestyle or us, it's a platform that encourages the participation in uh, content creation that's focused on Second Amendment stuff, and it happens automatically. So GunStreamer is pretty cool. So I have a, a duplicate copy of the show automatically, thanks to GunStreamer's awesome technology. In fact, the people that run GunStreamer were in the chat earlier today. Ashley was in the chat uh, commenting uh, over on the YouTube side. So uh, a lot better than the people at YouTube. I don't think they jump into chats, and if they do, they're probably not gun chats. Uh, but again, thanks to all the people that have been purchasing stuff over at the Gear Website store. Uh, we did have a bunch of people buy stuff today. It was the first day that the Firearms Inventor playing cards were available. And a bunch of people jumped on those. And let's see. Looks like we're at... This is exciting. I can feel the tension building. One, two, three. Did you have a giveaway to do? Yeah, that's what I was counting to find oh, out. Okay. So 15 orders today. Appreciate that from uh, 
uh, free patch Friday. So that's a whole bunch of extra stickers and patches and whatnot that'll be going out. But more importantly, it's paying for all that uh, the patches that we bought. So really, really, really grateful for the people that participate and keeping our stuff online. And I'm heading over to random. And where do you put the number? I'll even screen share. Let me move some things over so that nobody has to see anybody's name or address. So my screen share, I will get, let's see, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that means it'll be one way or the other. Uh, when I call on you, you can say up or down, and we'll just go back and forth. So cycle. Up. Dead horse. Up. Gizzard. Down. Dano. Up. Uh, dog. Dog. Skip. Patriot. Down. And pink. It's a tie right now, right? Up. Up. Oh, no. It's definitely up. So from the top, generating it here. Did you ask Cycle Camp? Yeah, I was first up. I generated and it said one. Now it said two. So I guess it is tending to the top. So I'm going to have to go with the from the top. I don't know if this is a, this is a setup or what, but it's Cycle Camp. So thanks, Cycle Camp. You jumped in at the last minute there and grabbed one of those uh, last sets of Gun Channel's Tulsa cards. And uh, awesome. Well, you were at Tulsa, so that's super appropriate. And uh, yeah, you're cool. Bunch of extra swag to kind of replenish all the stuff you were handing out of the table, I guess, at the Tulsa show. But uh, appreciate it. In fact, I'm going to do it again just because it's on the table here, and there's I know there's going to be people out there thumbing it down because they think this is some kind of elaborate scam. I'll do another one. So uh, let's just do the bottom this time. I'm going to refresh it just to make sure everything's legit. One to fifteen. We'll go from the bottom this time. 13 from the bottom is the same as 2 from the top. <laughs> I have to go back over here. Oh, yeah, scary. that virus I put in your machine's working good. That is, because it's Gary. So you and Gary have obviously gamed the system. But that's awesome. So thanks again, guys, for uh, participating. And again, keeping some money in the coffers to keep all the engines running. So uh, that's enough of that. It's Free Patch Friday. Um, thanks to Angelina, who is out in the chat. I don't know why she doesn't jump in, being a co-host of the show and all. You think she'd jump in once in a while. But uh, she does provide us with all the stickers. And uh, it's awesome to have stuff made in the USA of high quality. And uh, we just got a bunch of that stuff in yesterday, today. So uh, got stickers to match the, uh, the, revol the lever action rifles and the chairs against the walls. And they look awesome much sharper color than the last stuff I had coming in. So uh, anything else anybody wants to plug? We got Travis in the morning with Caliber Corner. Got Rick for uh, Rick's Life as I see it. And I can't keep up with what's happening on sun Saturdays because it seems to change, but it seems like a couple of three or four shows try to happen every Saturday. Uh, 
Oh, I have a QA with our Patreons tomorrow. I put up a poll and everybody wanted to do it on a Saturday, so I'll probably post something to remind people tonight and do that. Probably it. Is uh, Rick's life still mid afternoon? It's like 3 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. It's 3 to whenever. He's supposed to do a longer show. Everybody wanted it. He's just going to go um, almost to two hours or whatever first. You know. Kind of feel it out. I believe Gunsnap has his show tomorrow, doesn't he? Yeah, there's a couple. Nine. Of them. He does his last, I think, or does Sarge? Gunsnap yeah. and sometimes Sarge too. So. Sarge does his. He said during the day because I think he said this week he's working nights, so that's why he was doing his show on Thursday in the afternoon. Um, but I'm not sure about Snob. So, uh, well. That's what it's all about. Well, that's why we got a news feed over there on gun channels. And anybody's welcome to start something up. There's usually some kind of live thing going. All right. All right. Well, anyway, you guys have anything else? Otherwise, we will uh, wrap it up. Thanks again, everybody, for jumping in. Well, I'd just like to say thanks for having us, G. Uh, for those of you that are out there watching this on other platforms that are into guns or want to learn more about guns, come on over. Join us at uh, gunchannels.com. Friendly community. Lovable people, ask your questions. We love to answer. And if you're interested in uh, talking about dogs, join me at MuscleDogMafia.com. Send me questions at MuscleDogMafia, and uh, I'm more than happy to do a Q&A once a week on dogs. Very cool. I've been doing, like, on Saturdays and Tuesdays, trying to, to set up a workshop, just setting up, like, a regular live show and then just hanging out there. So far, it hasn't worked. Nobody's showed up, but... I think figure that's the way to get people aware that there's a conversation going. I don't know if that works for you or not, but maybe like set it up, you know, 5 p.m. someday or 7 p.m. someday, and then just start letting people know this is the day. Because I've I've been putting out there like, hey, if you want to talk about how to set up a project, let me know, and no one does. So I'm thinking the other way to do it is to, hey, I'm going to be here at 3 p.m. Tuesdays and Saturdays to talk about that, show up. So I don't know. Just give me that. I got to get emails by Friday. So that way I can spend the weekend researching some people's questions because I answer them all Monday. And uh, I was going to say your business card looks pretty cool. I like how you got Doberman on there. Thank you very much. All right. Well, so anybody else want to say anything? Otherwise, we will uh, see you all. Monday, I, guess, I do believe Mr. Knives has a live late night lobby going right now. Oh, snap, if anyone, really? if, yep. If anyone wants to jump over there, links are on the front page of Gun Channels, and uh, everyone and anyone's welcome. Gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thanks for watching Gunwebsites.com. Thank <laughs> you.